Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Night Gallery podcast. My name's Chris Brown. Today we're talking about one of the more frightening uh, stories in season one. It's the last story from episode five. It's called The Doll. Um, it's written by Rod Serling, but it's actually based on a short story by Algernon Blackwood. I'll give you an idea of the plot. Uh, as always, this is a bit spoiler heavy. Um, it's about a man called uh, Colonel Masters, who's played by John Williams, and he returns from India. Um, this is still the days of the, the old English Empire. And um, he uh, he returns home to his orphaned niece, uh, Monica, and her governess. Um, and Monica's um, received a doll as a gift. Uh, it's been in the post. It was sent over from India. And uh, Colonel Masters basically says that although she, uh, the child may think it's a present for her, in actual fact, it was actually meant for him. See, the problem is that Monica loves this doll, but the Colonel is absolutely terrified of it. And it becomes increasingly worrying and frightening when um, basically the, uh, well, the Monica starts to believe that the doll is talking to her. The Colonel, um, understandably frightened, tries to get rid of the doll many times. But it keeps on returning, um, seemingly, almost magically. Um, in then we have um, basically a character called Pandit Chola, who's played by Henry Shilver. Um, he is uh, an Indian resistance fighter, resistant against the uh, British Empire. Uh, and he basically turns up and warns him, that the doll is after the colonel and that, um, you know, to be fearful for um, he has to sleep, but the doll, the doll doesn't and, uh, and has teeth as well. So, after um, some more spooky shenanigans, we find the colonel is dead, lying um, at the bottom of the stairs with a bloody gash on his arm. Um... And that, well, you would imagine that would be the end of the story, but then we cut to Pandit as he returns home, uh, only to find there's a parcel already waiting for him. And it's of a doll. And the doll is, is the face of the colonel. And our lasting, terrifying moment is we see the doll's eyes open, seemingly on their own, and it bears its teeth towards Pandit. It's a scary story. It's um, it's really scary stuff, actually. Um, John Williams, who plays the uh, the Colonel, does an excellent job, kind of giving that kind of English um, English English Colonel kind of very stiff upper lip and very upright man. Um, he was in a uh, Dialing for Murder. Um, uh, this well, I mean, from a review point of view, um, what I'd say is there's two, there's two things going on. One is that the uh, Elgin and Blackwood story is very frightening, and it's well, it's a well-made story. Um, there is one problem with it, and I would say that problem is Henry Silver, who is not good in his role as an Indian. Um, 
what I'd say is that one of the major reasons for that is probably, well, not probably, it is in fact definitely the fact that he's actually from New York and is uh, from Sicilian origin. And um, I think I mentioned it before in terms of the story uh, earlier on in this episode, this, this, yeah, this episode, which is um, Lone Survivor. Uh, no, Clean Kills and Other Trophies, which is the end of episode four. Um, basically, in that, they had... Uh, it is Tom, who's like a, meant to be an Indian prince. Oh, no, an African prince, sorry. And um, it's it's not particularly culturally sensitive, shall we say. Uh, unsurprisingly, Henry, Henry Silver's um, uh, character from India isn't particularly uh, sensitively handled either. Um, I'd say that's that's probably fair. Although, again, I mean, I've said it before, you've got to bear in mind when this uh, this was filmed in 1971, it was, you know, that's when it was broadcast. So you've kind of got to forgive it a little bit for some of its um, rather more traditional uh, elements. Anyway, um... That character, the character of Pandit, is um, he's been added to the story to explain a bit more um, about exactly what happens. I mean, not sometimes uh, Night Gallery uh, and well, Twilight Zone as well doesn't really bother to explain certain elements to the uh, to the plot. Um, you know, what I mean, it's just you know it's done because it's ter- you know it's a frightening idea, it's a scary you know you know it's a scary concept it you know the the unknown is often more frightening than you know explaining everything in this case um in the Algernon Blackwood story um that character isn't there it's more kind of hinted at at the reason why the doll's there I think with Salen's idea to add him in it adds a certain bit more teeth to the story um or you know a bit more of an explanation but it also means that the ending is a lot stronger because you have that shocking, frightening reveal. Um, the, um, the, the the story was directed by uh, Rudy Dawn, who was uh, an Australian Australian Austrian director. Um, as is always, well, very often the way with Night Gallery, he only had uh, two days to uh, film the script, and understandably, he was under a great deal of pressure to um to do you know do it as quickly as possible he had some problems um certain characters well certain people were struggled with the uh, the plot or the script uh, john williams wasn't really ready to go when he arrived and stumbled over words um shana wallace who was uh, meant to be there for the full two days was uh, had to leave early on the second day to, to fly out to a different country, so they had to change the shooting schedule around. There was, um, and obviously, you know, there's an element that there was a bit of disappointment in the way that John Williams was initially struggling with the script. Um, I would say, though, that, um, you know, despite these pressures and despite what was happening, um, Rudy Dawn does a really good job, to be fair to him. Um, if he, at first I'd say that you know you don't really notice 
that John Williams was struggling with the scripts. It you know it's been well edited together. It, it you know it zips along. Um, he doesn't seem to be struggling. I mean, we talk as you know, I spoke a couple of episodes ago, ago with uh, about John Aston, who uh, sounded like he he really struggled to get his um, his words around uh, some more some of the more flowery language that Serling can use in his dialogue. Um, but in this case, it sounds like you know, no matter how much William struggled, he managed to get the job done. Also. I would say that a lot, I mean, you know, you put this alongside Lone Survivor and um, it's an indication that although sometimes it struggles with plot, you know, with setting and stuff and with atmosphere uh, in terms of, you know, making the ship basically in Lone Survivor look like a stage, when it comes to these kind of interior-based period elements... Um, they, it always tends to really shine, Night Gallery, I find. Um, and in this occasion, it really looks great. And I think that's down to uh, Rudy Dawn, basically. From a, uh, from a story point of view, this is has some great horror elements, I would say. There's the frightening child, like a scary kid who thinks a, a doll's talking to him. It's obviously the doll itself is... It's quite ugly. It has black rings around its eyes, terrors, back combs and wild. You know, it's baring its teeth in a malevolent smile rather than a welcoming one. It's a classic example of, um, you know, something that should look, you know, from somebody's childhood and welcoming, but in actual fact looks uh, bleak and malevolent. There are some great, obviously, as well, the story has some classic plot elements to it for a horror. You know, revenge, vendettas, and, of course, something that um, still hangs around horror to this day. Um, the concept of a curse, a cursed item that you just can't stop. You know, like that kind of Juon kind of uh, Japanese horror kind of thing that once your, your, your card's marked, it's marked forever. It's... Um, it's got that kind of side to it that once somebody sends you this doll and it, and it's you know it's, it's locked its eyes on you, you'll never be able to get rid of it, and it's always going to be there until the day it finally catches up with you. I'd say as well that um, Robert Prince, Robert Prince's score for this episode. I mean, he always does some great work. I think in that gallery, and um, I think in this case, it's it's kind of period. It's also kind of uses some in influences from India. There's a sitar in there, but it's it's kind of creepy. It's a little bit disjointed. It's a little bit jarring. It's um it's a scary kind of it's a scary. It really adds to the story. It's, it's a scary kind of soundtrack. Um, obviously, what I'd say as well about the um the doll. It was um it's a great character design. Both dolls, both the um. The, the doll, the, 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 you know, the, the, the one that kills the colonel, and the, the colonel's one that promises, although we don't see it deliver on its promise, to kill uh, Pandit, is, um, was both designed by uh, Bud Westmore. Uh, and what I'd say about Bud is that he is famous for making, uh, creating the, uh, well, the, the, the monster uh, from the 1954 Universal film um 
creature from the Black Lagoon, so he's used to uh, a lot more gills than uh, porcelain horror, but it's uh, very much uh, an indication, uh, once again, of uh, Night Gallery being able to take classic kind of, you know, great great people who've worked in the industry and, um, you know, make get the most out of them. So I would say that um, the story is not without its faults, um, but I think those faults are more because of the period it's from, really. I mean, it could really have done without having Henry Silver in that role, although the role itself actually adds to the story. It is another example, again, of Night Gallery and Serlin's writing going for um, what can only be described as, you know, foreign curses, frightening things from another country, which are um, at best quite, you know, sometimes very worrying in terms of, I don't think you'd be able to get away with some of the stuff that they get away with uh, normally in this episode in, in, you know, modern day writing certainly for the television um but that said this is a super effective genuinely creepy story uh and it delivers it really delivers on the on the chills um i'd say it is the scariest story in the first season i don't think it's the most frightening thing in total, there's some really good scary stuff in the second season, but this one I would say has some genuinely delivers on the fright and the shocks. Um, I don't. I mean, you know, it depends what your feelings are on dolls, but uh, I think if they start opening them out, their eyes and smiling at me, then I'm uh, I'm not I'm not particularly happy. Um, but what I'd say about that ending scene as well is that when you know it bears its teeth, it. Although, obviously, you know, it's a mechanical effect and it looks like one. It's just so not quite right. It's got a real malevolence to it. So, next week is going to be... um, Well, it's the turning down Tim Riley's bar next week, which I'm really looking forward to talking about. Um, It's without doubt the best story in season one. Um, You're going to love it. Uh, We're going to try... Well, I'm going to try and edit something together using um some clips and stuff so it really you know really stands out makes the most of what is absolutely some of rod Salen's best writing if you want to get in touch with me about anything uh, about europeans on the show or about the uh, podcast itself then you can drop me an email at nightgallery at the twilight zone podcast.com you can also get hold of me on twitter it's at orange underscore monkey um, use, uh, well, I mean, in terms of the website, um, if you pop over to the twilightzonepodcast.com, you'll see that there's uh, been some changes afoot. Um, it's now called Dimension X Radio, for one, although the uh, the website redirect, redirects to, you know, the twilightzonepodcast.com redirects, redirects to this new website. Um, on it, there is um, classic old, old-time radio series, uh, suspense, um, Dimension X, uh, X minus one. There's obviously the Twilight Zone podcast, and also interestingly, uh, Thomas put a link up to the UK Twilight Zone forum, which is getting hosted over by the absolutely amazing people over at Cut Labs. Um, it's really good uh, forum for people that are interested in talking about well, 
horror and uh, cult stuff. But this particular section is all dedicated entirely to Twilight Zone, the original series, the 80s series. And also there's a little thread there for the Night Gallery as well, which you might uh, you might see me pop up on every now and again. There's, uh, I mean, you know, it's only been going a week, but it's already people chatting on it, which is really good to see. Um, also, uh, there is, uh, well, there's a, there's an article that Tom's put up, which is pointing out that the Twilight Zone is going to be released finally in the UK on Blu-ray, uh, and also a new, spe- uh, new special edition on DVD. Um, they're releasing all five series of that, and it's going to get basically get released over the next six months or so. You know, one a, a series every couple of months, which is great news. It's great news anyway. But uh, the Blu-rays apparently look stunning. Um, my friends over in America are lucky enough already to have them, but uh, I'm looking forward to taking a look at them myself. Now, just fingers crossed, we get season three of Night Gallery at some point. But um, let's not hold a breath for that, eh? Um. So, yes, well, that should call it for today. Um, I'll see you next week. Next, uh, Again, this will get released on Sunday for They're Tearing Down Tim Riley's Bar. Um, and I really look forward to talking to you about it. So uh, I'll speak to you then. Take care. Bye. Thank you.